death is always by my side, on my hands so I scrub them every time I rest, on my stethoscope as I press it to her chest, lurking just beneath her skin, in the bubbles in her breast. It's benign, I say, but if it's not, that's the constant threat. Death is always by my side. Fourteen years ago, sunshine flickers through a tropical canopy to strike cool red earth. Red clay tamped hard under tiny brown footprints. Little kids scramble over me, staining my clown costume and chirping in Spanish. Their bare feet share real estate with chicken poop, diseased dogs, and sharp spindled thorns longer than some pocket knives I've owned. No one's had their tetanus shots. No one can afford that. As one little girl's butt bone digs into my well-fed North American thigh, and she smiles gently, brushing her dusty hair out of her face as her ancient tank top slides down her shoulder, and all the clapping and little voices drown out the insect choir. In that little church without buildings, with the bluest sky for the stained-glass ceiling of its living jade cathedral spire. There, in Luque, Paraguay, beyond the giant river, I decide to become a doctor so these little ones can sing more, longer, with less crying. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It's now four years ago. I'm a third-year medical student sitting in the car with my little sister as sunlight plays with her dirty blonde hair. She squints her eyes. She has Down syndrome and she's part Asian like me, so those eyes really, really squint as I quiz her about her sign language. I don't actually know sign language, so it's mostly her signing while I try to guess which animal she's talking about. We're in Florida, hundreds of miles away from my medical school, in the few precious days of my freedom. My husband's inside the liquor store looking for the perfect rum for Christmas rum balls, my mother's favorite cookie that apparently only I can make. We're about 200 feet from the highway. Suddenly, a pale gold SUV careens over the median and rockets into the air over our heads. It crashes into a palm tree and the earth shakes to where my husband runs out of the liquor store. I jump out of our car. Okay, okay, BLS, the basic life support algorithm, it is... Okay, the lady from the little white car is already on the phone with 911, so that's taken care of. I thought I hit the store, my husband says. Everything shook. I ran across the parking lot. Okay, okay, so next is Pulse and Stuff. Don't take the body out, you could break the C-spine, that's another thing. Don't move him, we need to protect his spine, I say. The driver's side door's fallen open. There's a small man with long black hair slumped over the steering wheel. We need to leave him there till EMS gets there. I say again as several other Floridians gather around. I'm trotting on my tiptoes as if the car might hear me to the mound under the fallen tree. I look to my husband, my Brian, for guidance. He was an EMT, so he knows these things, right? But he's silent. Calm, not giving me answers. Assuming I know what I'm doing. Me? Pulse, right. I have to check a pulse. He's completely unconscious, and when I touch him, I think he's sticky, covered in sweat. The car is on fire, a woman screeches. It's on fire. Well, that makes my next step easy. I climb into the car. My foot gets stuck under a tree root, and I leave my shoe there. I'm unbuckling the man, and he's awake now. He asked me something. I don't really care what, because... Sir, we have to get out of here, and the car is on fire. Fire spreading from the passenger side of the engine toward us. I'm squishing my hands under his armpits, trying to stabilize his C-spine against my breast, but mostly trying to yank him out of his seat. My leg, he yells, my leg hurts. I know, I know. We'll get you out of here. He's not a heavy man. It's hot. He's so sweaty, wet. I'm pulling, almost falling out of the car. Some other Floridians and my husband grab his legs, and I shuffle backwards, one bare foot on the hot, rough asphalt. 
The flames are leaping above the height of the store now. The police are here now. It was, what, four minutes? Out of the side of my vision, I see them smash in the back windows of the car. Sir, where's your baby? They call. It repeated. There's a car seat in the back? Where's the baby? She's with my grandma, he says. Oh my God. For then he can only say one thing, staring at the flames. My car! My car! What happened to my car? Not what happened to me. Just what happened to my car? He doesn't remember crashing. He barely remembers falling asleep. Now he doesn't smell like alcohol, just sweat. Your car? You're lucky to be alive, man, one of the Floridians says as we set him down. He had a Floridian accent that I can't replicate. My car! The victim repeated again. You, you are okay, I say. I almost feel like I'm faking my neurological exam. I just learned it. I'm only a couple of rotations into my clinicals. Watch my finger. I remember that. Have to make sure he doesn't have an epidural hematoma, right? Because he was unconscious. He could have a brain bleed that's hidden by his now awake state. Watch my finger. Brian, my Brian, is still there. The calm presence with absolute confidence in me. The driver's eyes follow my finger's movements just fine. He can see and speak and he knows who he is. No tenderness to palpation anywhere on the scalp. He can move his neck in all directions. He's just a little sore. That's good. Pushing on his belly doesn't hurt him. I'm patting him all over, then getting to... My leg! My leg! His jeans are leaking blood, but no profuse bleeding. Posterior cruciate ligament tears happen in car accidents, I remember. I don't do a true PCL test, though, because it hurts him too much. We're trying to lift up his jeans to inspect his legs. Stop any bleeding if we need to when EMS shows up. If you had hit the tree just at a slightly different angle, man, you would be dead, says the Floridian. I didn't really do a full neurological exam, but I did what I could remember. At some point, I run back to the dirt mound under the car to grab my shoe from the upturned tree root. The police keep everyone else away, and the chunky EMT lady with a tough voice asks me who I am. A relative? Why am I hovering near the crash victim? She's just helping, says the police officer. I'm a medical student, I told him at some point when he showed up. So Brian and I ride home with the groceries back to my parents' house. I don't know about the law here, but in Virginia, the doctor can't hand off to a lower-level provider, my husband says, as he drives. Huh? I guess it's different for you because you're still a medical student, he wonders partly to himself. The doctor's supposed to ride with the patient to the hospital until you can sign off to another doctor. That's how he thinks of me, like I'm a doctor. In Puerto Rico, in my medical school, everyone calls me doctora. We are little doctors, student doctors. When we get in the house, suddenly my heart starts beating faster and my fingers tremble. There's blood all over my hands, sticky and thick. My dad says something to me, something very everyday and normal, and I love him. Doesn't he notice there's blood on my hands? Brian looks at me seriously, and then I go to the bathroom to wash up. Knowingly, Brian looks at me. I have blood on my hands, Dad, I say. He wonders what happened with that funny little half-smile he makes when something might be interesting or funny. He often makes it at times that other people might be scared or concerned. It's the Peter Pan in him. I'm a little bit snippy when I tell him there was a car accident. He's only curious and kind of proud of me, so eager, almost so young, my dad. 
but I have blood on my hands and suddenly everything could have gone wrong. In the moment it didn't, in the moment I had no feelings and there were so many other people there, the little man with the long black ponytail and the hardcore black shirt, he would have been okay no matter who was there as long as they got him out of the car. This is comforting. That was maybe the last time that would be true in my fledgling medical career. I hadn't learned to hate medicine quite yet. That was Jen Finelli from her upcoming series, Death and the Doctor, The Art of Killing a Physician Slowly. This series of short stories chronicles the losses and near misses Jen has encountered during her first few years of medical practice. Ever wonder why your doctor seems so cold and unemotional? Take a step into the life of a medical professional and ask, when did clinical become a synonym for unfeeling? How many deaths would it take you to stop caring? Hey everyone, I'm Brandon the Hard Hat Mitchell, producer for the Emergency Exit Podcast Network. That's right. Jen and I sat down, talked about this story, brought up some questions, but more importantly, we find out how those rum balls came out. Be sure to find Death and the Doctor wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen online at emergencyexitpodcast.com to this and other great pods. Subscribe and be the first to know when new content comes out. That's emergencyexitpodcast.com for all your podcast needs. It's like, you know what? I never want this to happen ever again. I, I think that this should never happen again. Um, George Washington uh, talks about when he, in, in his, in one of his later uh, diaries, George Washington writes about reading something from one of his earlier diaries where as a young man he was in war and he was so excited about the sound of bullets whizzing by his head and stuff like that. And as an older man, he writes something like, I was such a fool at that time or something like that. Um, but anyway, I'm not old enough that I can say I have the kind of experience that George Washington had. But um, it was really interesting because after that I was like, you know, what? I think I'm done. I think I think that was... That was enough. Let's never have that happen again. The other thing that was really interesting to me was that um, kind of the comforting realization that I was not necessary um, because there were all these other people there who, um, even if they didn't have medical experience, they knew to get him out of the car. But I guess I had come to assume that people don't come out and and do those kind of things because I've gotten so much stupid training. Like we got this volunteer training at a hospital I was at as a civilian where um, they're like, if there's an armed intruder or a kidnapper who's stealing a child, you don't get in their way. You just keep note of them and you let them go. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Like, I'm not going to like not, I'm not going to just like let someone make off with a kid. It's totally the opposite in a military hospital, by the way. In a military hospital, they're like, you get in the way, you know, cause it's, it's different. You sign up to fight. Something else I wanted to touch on, uh, you, you made mention when, when you went to check up on him while I guess he was still unconscious in the car, you made mention that his skin was, was moist, that it was wet. What, what what purpose what purpose did that observation serve if any yeah it was that's kind of weird and that's why um i don't know if later on any would one would have thought there was some kind of under the influence thing right one of the first things you think of when somebody 
has crashed and in such a ridiculous way is, is, are there drugs or alcohol involved? Um, or did he fall asleep or what happened? Mm -hmm. It was just weird to me how wet and sweaty he was. That was very, very strange. And at the time I didn't know if that meant anything or what it meant. It was just so strange. Like, why is he so wet? Like, there's some things that I remember super clearly. Like, and they're like these little small detail things. It's like, okay, my shoe being under the car and, and getting, going, going the moment of running back to get my shoe and, and the, his wetness of his back. Um, but I don't remember the faces of any of the people who were around me at that time. You know, I don't remember. It's like, I don't remember anything. There's like these little details that you just remember because they're like the hyper, just the sense, the sense details, I think, are the ones that matter. Or like looking down and the stickiness of his blood on my fingers. That was like very, like remembering that stickiness. is a like, I don't know. It's like that, those kind of things bring it back. But as far as what it could mean medically, that's actually a really good question um, because it could be the indication of some kind of substance use. Um, he didn't smell like alcohol, uh, and I doubt, you know, I, I don't have any reason to, he didn't have anything on neurological exam that would lead me to believe he was under some kind of substance, um, influence or anything like that. I thought that he had, he, like, he said he'd fallen asleep and I really did believe him. So I, you know, it could be that he has a seizure disorder and it was an autonomic dysfunction, right? Because you can have these seizure disorders where you just kind of, you're, you're out, um, mm -hmm. but he didn't have much of a, what we call a post-ictal state. That's where after the seizure, you're kind of weird and confused. He was confused, but not like recently myself and a number of medical professionals had been doing PT really early in the morning. And, um, so I, I, for whatever reason happened across a lot of car crashes. There was another, I had recently had another guy flying over the median and almost hitting a bridge. Um, he was yeah. fine. But I I was there as well, stopped and got out, waited for the police with him because um, I, I was like, with that impact, I want to make sure that you go to the, you know, the emergency room. I'm sorry to bother you and interrupt your trip, but that that's dangerous. <laughs> um, so, you know, we sat with him and stuff. And, I've, and then I've had multiple other incidents like that. Um, but recently, myself and a number of other medical professionals were all in separate cars driving home from driving from PT to work. Um, we're from physical fitness to work and um, it was interesting to see who um, as we were passing this one accident it, it it was it was interesting because I don't think that even out of all medical professionals we always take the initiative um, it was cool what what made me happy was my boss did stop to make sure everything was okay and I was, that made me respect my boss more, my former boss now, but that made me respect him more is because he stopped to, to ask. And he was like, Jen, is everyone okay? And I said, yes. And then he, he kept going. Um, that was cool. You know, Yeah, that's, that's, it's something, it's just that little thing that it shows about him and his, you know, his, uh, his character. Yeah. Like, like he, he's in this for something more. And, and the physicians that I, I respect the most are, out of out of that group that I used to work with, um, as far as my colleagues and not my boss, two of them were people who had, they would keep emergency gear in their car in case they needed to stop by the road and render aid. Now, I am not at that level yet. I need to start getting some cool-ass, like, emergency gear. I think, 
I think, again, that's why I was so surprised is because I had kind of come to believe that people don't. You know, you hear about those stories where everybody lets, um, like, the, I think it was in New York, a girl was being beaten to death or something outside of an apartment, and everyone in the apartment complex could see. And later, you know, they explained, like, the various reasons that they did not call. Um, they didn't even call for help. Because they thought somebody else was going to do it? Yeah, it wasn't their business, and... You know, there was one person who yelled out the window, hey, stop that. And they thought that was enough. Well, anyway, I've got one more question about that story, and I think it's going to be the most important one of all about this experience was uh, how did those rum balls turn out? Oh, they were really, really good. I made like, um, I don't know how many. I made so many of them. And they were frozen. We froze them, and they were fantastic. That's I had to pause and think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you made mention of them, and it got me curious. And it's like, well, I mean, uh, you had made mention that your your mom says that nobody else can make them like you. And I just I feel a lot that the listeners want to know. The people want to know. I'll drop the I'll drop the recipe in the um in the description. <laughs> In the comments. Yep. And I'll, I use a I use a Betty Crocker, old Betty Crocker recipe modified slightly. I modify it yeah. by adding more alcohol. Um, <laughs> my great grandmother used to always say it's not okay to drink yourself drunk, but, you know, nobody minds if you eat yourself drunk. So oh. that's the, the trick is you have to eat yourself drunk. To eat it. All right. <laughs> So then that, yeah, that definitely explains the, uh, uh, the, on the, the recipe for more, more alcohol. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, that, uh, that about wraps it up. Jen, do you have any, any last, uh, comments on this story? What actually real quick, what, what was your overall takeaway from this? If you could just sum it up, what was your, your experience that you walked away from this? That it's, it's nice to not be needed or it, it would be nice to not be needed. (laughs) That was one of the last times where I felt like that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Death and the Doctor. I'm Jen Finelli, the licensed physician voice behind um, the series. Mental health care is very important to me because of the only personal trauma that I have dealt with and because of the impact I've seen on my patients. So if you or a loved one are at risk Um, The phone number for the suicide helpline is 1-800-273-8255. Or for the crisis text line, you can text HOME, that's H-O-M-E or Hotel Oscar Mike Echo, to 741-741 in the U.S. or 686-868 in Canada. I also went ahead and along with the emergency Um, Exit Podcast Network, we've gone ahead and affiliated with BetterHelp.com. In these current times, it can be difficult to go out to find a therapist, and a lot of times people's insurance doesn't always cover what they need. There are cheap and affordable uh, therapist options at BetterHelp, and like I always tell my patients, if you need to fire your therapist and pick another one, you always can. You always should take care of picking the therapist that's best for you, But if you would like to take advantage of our 10% offer, um, we do have a special link for you at hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com 
slash S-H-D-Y. That's hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash S-H-D-Y. So that link is also going to be in the description of every episode. So one more time, in order to get 10% off of your teletherapy so that you can take care of yourself effectively, um, please go to hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash S as in Sierra, H as in Hotel, D as in Delta, and Y as in Yankee. And this has offers tracking with an S. I really hope that you find that helpful. And if not, do what you need to do to try to find care in the area near you. It's also always a viable option if you have a well-trained chaplain um, or you have a well-trained school counselor. Sometimes they can get you the help that you need as well. Every single person, whether a counselor or a pastor or a school counselor or a therapist, can sometimes be hit and miss because the evidence shows that the biggest thing that makes a difference for patients actually getting better is if you have a good rapport with the therapist. So if it's not working, get a different one. It's okay. A professional isn't going to be offended. What I like about being able to use BetterHelp.com is you have an enormous network of therapists all over the world that you can use to help you out. Um, It is a U.S.-based company. And while I can't give you some kind of insurance referral or anything like that to them, this affiliate link is a great way to both support the show and do what you need to do to make sure that you're healthy to be able to help other people. Thank you very much for listening to the show and have good adventures.